We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Turn with me to Luke 8, and while you're doing that, I wanted to ask you a question. Did you know that Elmani is known for its soil? You guys know that? Almani is known for it. So you eat an orange and you spit out a seed on Almani soil, you come back the next day, there's an orange tree, okay? It grows. Seriously, <clears throat> when Almani first started, during the blooming season, it was called Las Flores. That's what people just knew Almani for, Las Flores. So if it gives you, you say, how did that Flores name come up, okay? It came up from the fact that it was it bloomed. It bloomed here in Almani. We got good soil. The, the, the farmers used to lease out fertilizer tracks to people to grow because it just grew. I mean, it, we have good soil. And soil is essential for growth, huh? I mean, you need good soil for growth. Did you know that you could send a handful of the soil in your garden to a lab to get analyzed? I, that's, well, I didn't know that. That's too much information for me. But you can literally get, you know, a fistful of, of dirt, of soil, put it in a sandwich bag, send it out, and a lab will analyze it, and they'll tell you information about the nutrients found in the soil. They'll tell you information about the contamination, the composition, the makeup of that soil. They'll tell you everything about dirt that you need to know in order for you to know if it's the right soil to grow. Okay? And so that's kind of our goal today. That's, that's our goal as we go through this, this, this amazing parable I mean, you're probably thinking, what, to talk dirt? No, to, to analyze our soil. It's an opportunity that we have as Christians, and maybe even perhaps as non-Christians here, to analyze your soil, to determine what type of soil, what type of heart, because that's what it's portraying, it's the heart. Except that instead of us sending it to the lab, we're going to do it through God's word. We're going to, in fact, do it through the very words of Jesus Christ. So if you are at uh, Luke chapter 8, we're going to be reading about one of the most famous parables told by Jesus uh, called the parable of the sower. Or a better name, I think, for it is the parable of the soils. So you ready? Let's pray one more time. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much, God, for your amazing grace, for your love. Thank you for giving me this awesome opportunity to be before your daughters and your sons that you love so much. I pray, God, I pray that Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you. And I pray that you would give us all just open hearts and, and soil that is, that is just ready to receive your seed, receive your word. And Lord, if, if you put a finger on something, Lord, I pray that we would be open to be obedient to do something about it, Lord. So we just praise you. We pray that you be glorified. Thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us a building where we can come, we could worship, and we can get into your word and, Lord, hear from you. And so we invite you to be with us. We praise you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we begin in verse 4 of Luke chapter 8, and it reads, And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he, he being Jesus, spoke a parable. Now, I think by now you know that Jesus' um, preferable method of teaching, at least amongst the crowds, was through a parable, huh? And so you've got to ask yourself, well, what is, a, what is a parable? Someone described a parable as a, a mirror and a window. A, a mirror which forces us to look at ourselves and a window which allows us to look at God and his truth. A, a parable is basically using something earthly to communicate a heavenly message. Someone or the Strong's translates it as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. If you ever go to Mark chapter 4 there's an interesting verse there that says then he said he Jesus to what shall we liken the kingdom of God or with what parable shall we picture it so parables are pictures pictures I don't know about you but I'm a visual type of guy I need visuals man to be able to connect I need all the help I can get and so I think Jesus knew that he wanted to reach the people and so he was a master teacher right he's the Lord and so he, he, he taught in, in parables. He taught in parables. And when I, when I was reading this, I was thinking, man, God, Jesus, you're the ultimate. You're the supreme parable, huh? Because talk about an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's Jesus, huh? God coming down, becoming a man, 
and dying for man. That is the ultimate parable. He's the ultimate parable. Notice that we're told here that there's a multitude of people around him, right? In the Gospel of Matthew, it says that there were so many people that he actually got on a boat and he was teaching them from the boat in order that he wouldn't get smothered. By this point, um, you know, Jesus' fame had spread. People were, were, were hearing about the miracles. They were hearing about the, the, the man with the shriveled hand that he had healed. They were hearing about the man in the coffin that he touched and, and came back from the dead. They were hearing all of that. And so that, of course, attracted to them. And Jesus took this opportunity to teach them, but he taught them. We're going to see as a method to draw them in through a parable. In almost all the parables that Jesus taught, he used things that were familiar with the people. And so we're going to talk about farming. We're going to talk about a harvest. We're going to talk about seeds. And, you know, they didn't have supermarkets like we did back then, right? And so they knew what it was to go out and sow a seed because they probably sowed a seed or two in their time. To us, it kind of like, well, what, how does that work? Unless we live in Fresno or Bakersfield, somewhere close to where there's farms, it's, it's kind of foreign to us. But to them, they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. And so look what it says in verses 5 through 8. It says, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and as it was trampled down, the birds of the air devoured it. Verse 6, Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground. It sprang up and it yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, picture a sower as a man, kind of like a mailman or a mail lady that comes and delivers your mail, right? You see that kind of bag that they're, they're carrying with them? Well, he, the sower had a bag like that, and he would stick his hand and grab a fistful of seeds and then just toss it in the air. The air would... would, would cause it to go in different locations. And the locations that it gives us, the soils that it gives us, are four. One is the wayside, which is a path. It's a place where people walk on. The second is a rock. It's a rocky section. Back then, there was, there was places where there would be on the top layer dirt, but right at the bottom, right at the bottom, there'd be lime. There'd be rock. Okay. The third one is a thorny area where there was a lot of, maybe we could say weeds or thorns or briars. And then the fourth one is the, the good ground, the, the Almani ground, right? The one that you just put a seed on and, and the next day it, 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 it takes, it, it grows. Now, I want you to keep in mind that the, the seed here was the same. We're going to read as Jesus explains this parable to us that it was an incorruptible seed. It was a perfect seed. It was a seed given to us from heaven. The difference here was the soil. That's what made the difference, okay? And like I said, soil is essential in growing. So let's look at the wayside soil. The wayside was, again, a path, an area where there was foot traffic, right? I mean, just picture like a, a, a grape, a, a, a vine, you know, area or a heart or some, just some place where they, they have a lot of things growing. You notice they always have a path, right, so they can go and work. They can go and harvest. Well, that's what the wayside was. It's where there was foot traffic. The Greek word hadas means a traveled way, a road. Now, because it was a traveled way, when the seed fell on it, it got trampled on. Now, we all know what the, the, the definition of trampled on, but if you go to the Strong's, you'll notice that one of the definitions is mock. It's make fun of. It's ridicule. Keep that in mind as Jesus explains this parable to us a little later. Okay. Now, the soil's job was to embrace the seed. Right? When a seed drops on the soil, the soil's job is to embrace it. Kind of like quicksand. Take it in in order so that it could get its nutrients and it can grow. The soil here, because it was trampled on, it was hard, it didn't do its job. And so the seed never really had an opportunity to grow. It never broke ground. And so, therefore, because the ground remained hard, nothing ever happened. The seed, the seed never came to fruition. And so it says that it was easy pickings for the birds. You guys ever go to the beach, to the pier, and you see the seagulls hanging around by the fishermen? When they're not there to get a tan. They're there to get fish, right? That's kind of the same principle here. They're, here. they're there to see if a fish comes to the surface or if you know, some fisherman you know, gets, a, gets, a, gets a fish to bite and as soon as they get it to bite, they bring it up, boom. The seagulls go and they take it. Well, that's the same thing that Jesus is talking about here. The second soil that we're shown is the rocky soil. 
It says another seed landed on rock. And like I mentioned back then, there was soil where you would see dirt, you know, on the surface, and you wouldn't see the rock underneath, but there was rock, okay? And so we're told here that it, it, it sprang up, unlike the first soil, where it didn't even, it didn't penetrate, right? And the birds just came and took it away. This one actually received it. The soil did its job, but it lacked something. We're told that it withered away, it dried up. Why? Because it lacked moisture, right? And so we all know that if you want something to grow, you got to what? You got to water it, right? You know, my mother-in-law and my wife, they have a beautiful garden with lots of flowers. But don't tell the county because we're in a drought, but they're watering every single day, okay? Why? Because you need water, right? You need water to cause something to grow. The third soil that we're showing here are the thorny soil, the, the soil with thorns. Again, here with this soil, we'll see that the soil did its job, huh? But unlike the, unlike the rocky soil, which lacked something, this soil had too much of something, huh? It had too much. It, it, it tells us that, that it sprang up, but the thorns also sprang up with it, or the, the weeds or the briars also sprang up with it. And so the seed didn't have enough room to grow. And so what happened? What happens when we, when we get choked? We stop breathing, right? And then the last soil that Jesus talks about is the good soil. Again, the, the Almani soil, right? The prime soil for seed to flourish. It had all the requirements that soil needed to grow, and it did, huh? It thrived, and, and boy, did it thrive. We read that one seed yielded a crop a hundredfold, meaning a hundred times greater than just the one seed. Good soil, guys, is essential if you want to grow anything. And I think that this is an opportunity for us, even though this speaks primarily about salvation and how the word of God, when the gospel is given, is received, for us to look and say, hey, what type of soil do I have? Do I got the rocky soil? Do I got the thorny oil? oil soil? Do I got the, 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 the hardened soil? I, I guarantee you that, that amongst a crowd like this, every soil is represented here. Jesus concluded the parable by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so before we move on to the part where Jesus expounds and explains, and I thank God for that because it's so much better to hear from Jesus than from mere man, right? We have to kind of deal with this. Notice that he didn't say those who have ears then hear because that would be all of us, huh? He said he who has ears to hear, let him hear. To him, let him hear. I wonder, guys, if we need work on this. I mean, it's a blessing that we're here. I love to see you guys here. And I thank God that we got ears. I got two of them. Thank you, Lord, for that. But I wonder if we use them properly. I wonder if we listen, you know. I, I wonder how many of us, as soon as we leave church, within 10 minutes, we forget what the message was all about. Don't tell Manny. Strike this from the record. But sometimes my wife and I are talking, and I'm like, hey, what did you think of the study? And she's like, oh, it, you know, that's the way we are. You know, we don't listen sometimes. It's good to take notes. I would encourage you to take notes. I would encourage you to be students of the Bible because we have to receive. we got to come with open ears. we got to come with our heart hearing so that we can take away what God has for us. It reminds me of a story that I heard about a, a, a pastor preacher a lawyer and a doctor. These three guys had been friends since childhood and they love hunting. They were avid hunters. If there's anyone here from PETA, please forgive me. No deer was hurt in the telling of the story. Okay, it's just a story. But these guys love hunting and, and they hadn't gotten together in a long time. So the lawyer um, put together this, this outing where they would go deer hunting because it was deer hunting season that time. And so within 10 minutes of arriving at this destination, this beautiful deer walks by their sight and they just get so excited they all three lift up their shotgun and they point and bam they shoot the deer and the deer drops and so naturally all three of them run and they're looking at the deer and they're excited and they say we got him we got him but then they start debating amongst themselves well who got him who took the money shot right and so the lawyer and the doctor they're arguing because pastors don't argue right but the lawyer and the doctor are, are, are arguing amongst the south and 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 through their argument and their debating, here comes this officer and he says, hey guys, what, what's going on? And he said, well, you know, we, we took a shot at this deer, it fell, but we're, we don't really know who took the money shot. And so the officer looks down at the deer and he says, oh, that's easy. They all kind of looked at him stunned. He says, it was the preacher. What? How, how do you know that? 
He says, because it went in one year and out the other. <laughs> and that's not you, huh, guys? Right? And that's, not, that's another church. We're not talking about Calvary Chapel, Almani, because you guys listen, huh? But if we're all honest, we, we need to know that when we come to church, we come, we come to hear the word of God. We're not necessarily hearing Pastor Manny. We've got to pay attention, and God anoints pastors to be able to teach, but what we're really listening to is God's voice. Huh? What is God telling me? What does he want to show me? I guarantee you through one truth, he could be applying it in a hundred different methods even today. And so we've got to come with an open ear. We can't be like, like, like this deer with one ear and not the other. So as I move on, just, just for our sakes and for my sakes and for your sakes, I'm so blessed that, that Jesus didn't stop here. He didn't just stop by giving the parable and moving on to something else. And I thank God that it was the disciples that actually kind of constructed that because they were inquisitive. And so they asked, hey, what did that parable mean? Look at, let's read verses 9 through 10. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, what Jesus had just said wasn't difficult to understand, because like I mentioned, they were all familiar with what it meant to sow a seed. But I think that, you know, these Disciples were, 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 were well enough aware of who Jesus was and how he operated and what he was doing, and he knew, they knew that there was something more, and so they asked him. You know, they asked him, what does this mean? In the account of Matthew, which covers this, they asked him, why do you teach in parables? They, they were hungry. That's the point that I'm trying to say. They were hungry. They wanted to know. You see that sometimes. You know, you get a new believer, and, and they're hungry to learn the word. I mean, they don't have, they don't know all that, but they want to read, and they're like, why? They ask questions. They go, and, they, and, they, and they're praying, and they're asking God to teach them. And I think that's what we see here with the disciples. They ask the question, what does it mean? The disciples wanted to know, and so Jesus taught them, huh? I know that every student of the Bible thanks the disciples for asking Jesus because it allowed for Jesus to actually expound on what this parable means. And I would rather hear from Jesus than anybody else. And we should too, guys. Before we run to a commentary, before we run to a commentary, we need to ask God, Lord, you show me what this means. You show me the application. You show me what this means. Because a commentary is just God showing application to that individual, but God can show us our application personally. And if we don't, guys, if it don't matter to us either way, then we're going to be like that crowd where Jesus taught them in a parable because they really didn't want to listen. They could take it either way. I'll learn it or I won't learn it. I'll read today or I won't read today. If we have that attitude, because you hear that so much, right? And I know some of you guys struggle with that. You're reading the Bible and you're like, I just don't understand. I don't understand it. Well, if you're born again, the Bible says that you will understand. It's the people that are not born again. They can understand. The natural man can understand the things of God. But if you have been born again, God will give you that understanding. You just have to ask for him. And you've got to get hungry. You've got to ask. You've got to be a student of the Bible. Now look at verse 10. Verse 10 is a, is a head scratcher, guys. I know a lot of uh, pastors kind of, they kind of, they, they, they have trouble with this verse. Because doesn't it seem on the surface that Jesus is saying that there are people who he wants to know and others who he doesn't? To you, disciples, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest, the common people, to then I'm going to tell them stories to kind of keep them off balance. You know, it goes back to their hearing. It goes back to them actually craving. It goes back to them wanting to understand. Seeing they won't see and hearing they won't hear. A good rule of Bible study, guys, is that when you come across a section that you don't understand in the Bible, you always lean on what you do and understand. And what I understand is that God loves everybody, right? What I understand is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's love. And so God doesn't want anyone to perish. He, he's not trying to hide this from anyone. In fact, he's using a parable to draw the people in. But he's also using the parable to weed people that aren't just there to be there. They don't really want to learn. They don't want to know. God's not going to force himself on anyone. If you crave, if you're hungry, if you ask like the disciples asked, God will teach you. 
Maybe these people weren't really interested in, in a story, huh? They had heard of the accounts of Jesus healing a shriveled hand. They had heard of the accounts of Jesus touching a coffin and bringing back someone from the dead. Maybe that's what they wanted to see. They wanted to see lightning fall from the sky. They wanted to see manna come from heaven. And I think we do that sometimes, guys. You know, we come and we approach God and we come with our request. We come with our list and we're praying and we say, God, take care of this. And two weeks later, it doesn't happen. And you're like, Lord, I've been praying for two weeks. What's going on? I read a proverb today. You're not changing my life. Jesus Christ did not come to actually change their life here. He came to save them from sin. And that's what he was trying to communicate. He was trying to communicate the hardness of the heart, the different areas of soil that the gospel falls on. The gospel of Matthew actually kind of sheds light on this, this verse um, because if you read the parable uh, account in the gospel of Matthew, in, in Matthew, I, I believe it's Matthew thirteen twelve, Jesus says, For whoever has to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So again, that's about hearing. This whole parable has to do with how we hear, how we listen to the word of God. Here in this parable, Jesus was quoting Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, and we don't have time to get into that, but basically what Isaiah is dealing with is with people who are inventing their God, people who are creating a God, people who approach God like a genie. This is what I want. Here are my three wishes. That's why God told Isaiah, go tell these people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Go tell these people, keep on seeing, but do not perceive. They were religious, but that's it. They invented their own God and they wanted from God what they wanted. Jesus is saying, hey, I I want you to listen to me. I want you to hear me because if you crave my word, then you'll want more. And if you want more, you'll ask. And if you ask, I will give you. I will teach you. And my question to us, to me, is do we want to know? If we do, then God will give us the capacity. He'll give us the eyes. He'll give us the ears to be able to see. Remember when when Jesus was asking the disciples, hey, who do they say that the Son of Man is? That's found in Matthew, right? And, And Peter said, well, they say that you're Jeremiah. They say that you're John the Baptist. They're saying that you're the prophet. And then right in the middle of that, Jesus says, well, Peter, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Son of the living God. You're the Son of God. And what does Jesus tell him? Simon Barjona, blessed are you. For flesh and blood did not give this to you. You received this from my Father in heaven. God wants to give us his word. God wants to put that seed in our hearts so that that seed can take fruit and that we could be fruitful and we could yield a fruitful life, guys. Hosea 6.3 says, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. We have to do that. Let's read, Jesus explained the parable now. Let's read verses 11 through 12. This is when it gets interesting. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Ah, Okay, Lord, now I understand. The sower is you. And the seed is your word. The sower actually can be the disciples. The sower actually today can be us, huh? The word always remains the word. The word is a seed. It's the word of God. The wayside here represents a hardened heart, guys. When the word doesn't penetrate, it doesn't penetrate because the soil is hard, remember? It was on the wayside. It was trampled on. People mock at it. Today, you could be here and you could be here every single Sunday and still come with the attitude like, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to appease my conscience, but I'm not going to let them change my life. I'm not going to let the word change and dictate what I'm going to do. But guess what? I'm of the belief that I need a brainwashing. I don't just need a regular hose. I need like a pressure machine behind it to take all the junk that I built up over the years. We need a brainwashing once in a while, guys. We have to be open to having God break that rock. I wonder if today there might be someone who has a hard heart. Today, the Bible says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as those in the rebellion, those in the desert. There's still hope if that's you. There's still hope if there's someone here who walked in because they were desperate, but yet they just don't want to receive. There's still hope because you still have the opportunity 
to humble yourself before God. You still have the opportunity to say, God, it's enough. My pride hasn't gotten me anywhere. I want what you have. Break me. Jesus said that, huh? You could either be broken or be crushed, huh? Those are our two choices. I'd rather be broken than crushed. Matthew 21, 44, Jesus speaking of himself as a stone says, and whoever falls on this stone will be broken. That's every Christian. You have to humble yourself. You have to be broken. You have to admit that you're a sinner. You have to admit that you can't do it. And then you've got to let God crush you. But the opposite of that is just doing your own thing. Continue to think that you are the man and you are the lady. You know what you're doing. You're not going to let anyone tell you what to do. One day, that stone will crush you. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Let's read the explanation of the parable of the rocky soil. Verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. I don't have anything against Harvest Crusade. We promote Harvest Crusade. We think Harvest Crusade is great. I've had brothers who have been saved through the Harvest Crusade. I believe that God is doing a work. But you see that in the Harvest Crusades. You see people go down to the field out of an emotion. You see people just say, hey, my friend's going, they're going, I'm just going to go too. I want to I actually go on the field, see what Angel Stadium's like. I want to see if it's AstroTurf or something. They're not really going, it's out of an emotion only. You see people that are on fire for the Lord. They go buy a Bible this big. I got one this big because I can't see. I'm blind. But you see people, new believers, they're carrying a big old Bible because they're on fire for the Lord, right? But as soon as something happens, as soon as temptation comes in, and temptation, by the way, isn't just when the devil says, do this, do that. Temptation also means a trial. If you look up the word, it's a time of proving. So when that time of proving comes and you don't have a root, if you're lacking moisture in your life, if you're not doing the things that God has called you to do that are essential in your walk, which is not just coming to church on Sunday. It's not just putting a 20, you know, when the collection plate comes by. It's being real. It's not just being a kind of Christian. It's being a Christian. It's actually letting God meddle with the middle. It's recognizing who you are and letting God's word transform you. If you don't do that, if you're not praying, if you're not fellowshipping, if you're not in the word every day, not just on Sunday when the pastor teaches it, but every day, then guess what? When that time of temptation comes, you are going to lack moisture. You're going to lack root. And that's what it's talking about here. You know, we got to have root because we're going to get hit, guys. You know, this Christian life, man, it's hard. It's not easy. You know, I think of the, the, the salmon fish, you know, that are jumping upstream as they're heading back home and they're going and you see them and they're jumping and then they slide back and they're jumping. I think that's the Christian life right there. Thank God for his grace, huh? Thank God that the word says that his mercies are new every morning. We've got to take advantage of his, not take advantage, but we've got to receive his grace. But we can't take advantage of his grace. So we need to be rooted. We need to be rooted in the word of God, those that aren't rooted when temptation comes will fall and then they'll fall away. Again, rock soil had this thin layer of dirt on the top. So if you see it, you're like, that's eh, good dirt. I'm going to grow something there. But right underneath it, there was rock. There was no room. There was no room for a root. We need to leave room for a root. Listen to what it says in Psalm 106, verse 12 through 14. It says, Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. We've read the stories. We know the story of the desert, right? God would show them wonderful miracles. They would be on fire for the Lord. And after a little while, what? They'd fall away. We can't be like that. We have to be rooted in the things of God. When a pastor tells you you need to read, you need to pray, you need a fellowship, they're not telling you because they're legalistic. We're telling you because we know that it's essential in our walk in order to survive and to thrive. We need to be rooted in the Word of God, guys. I'm so blessed that you're here. But if you're just here to appease your conscience, save your time. Go watch the game. Do something. You've got to be here because God is doing a work. And You know, and I know that we're all in different stages of our walk. And I'm glad that you're here. But we've got to be here f- for reals. We can't just be kind of Christians. We've got to be real Christians. We have to, guys, because we're, we're faced with a three-headed monster. 
We got three enemies that are trying to chase us. The world, our flesh, and the devil. If we're not rooted, man, they're going to kick our butts. Okay? And some of you have gotten your butt kicked. We need to be rooted, guys. This is a good verse to memorize. It's 1 Corinthians 10.13, which says, No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful will never allow you to go through something that you can't handle. He has his hand on the dial. And even that, he's given us a way of escape. He's given us a back door. He's given us legs to run. He's given us the mouth to say no. He's given us the ability to be rooted. We need to be rooted in the things of God in order to receive the spiritual moisture that we need to be able to survive, to be able to flourish. Paul says in Colossians 2.7, Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Just in case, like the person with a hardened heart, if there's someone here who, who, who maybe has that rock, who maybe you know, isn't giving that seed room enough to, to, to breathe, know that you still have hope. You can do something about that rock. You can crush that rock. You can remove that rock. You could today say, Lord, I'm not going to play games with you anymore. I'm going to be for real, and I'm preaching to myself, guys. Please know that. We look at the wayside soil. We looked at the rocky soil. Now now let's look at the soil with the thorns. And by the way, the rocky soil and the thorn soil are the two soils that we are probably going to be faced with, that we are struggling with, just because of our nature. Look what verse 14 says. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those when they have heard go out and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. Oh, United States of America Christians, we're in danger. Oh, California Christians, beware. We're even worse, Los Angeles Christians. El Monte Christians, oh man, we're in trouble. Why? Because we have everything given to us, huh? Yeah, we work. And what are you talking about? I go out and work 40 hours. Yeah, but everything is given to us. You go to a country like Cambodia, they rejoice because they eat meat once a month. My wife and I, we plan King Taco tomorrow in and out. We already have the whole week scheduled of meat. We're given everything to us. We have all these things. We're bombarded with all kinds of things. We have the, the, the blessing, the luxury to go everywhere and get the things that we want. But that could be dangerous. Out of all the soils, this is probably the most dangerous one because we want and we want and we want. And we get and we get and we get. Have you ever eaten a fruit that, that wasn't ripe, that wasn't ready? It's nasty, huh? It's ugly. And that's, that's what happens when you see a Christian who hasn't gotten to the level of maturity that they should be. Why? Because they're still dealing with the riches, with the cares, and with the pleasures of this life. I like the way John Corson kind of addressed this. He said, look, Every member of society is, is e- depicted in this, this verse. The poor, they get preoccupied with what? With the cares of life, huh? Oh, man, I need this. I don't have that. I wish I had that. The rich, well, they get caught up with what? The riches of this life, huh? Now I need that, or I want her, or I want him, or give me that. And then the pleasures, we're all in the pleasures, huh? Poor or rich. We also come to the pleasures. We all want pleasures. But how do we counter that? I think first we need to know that the Bible says that you can't serve two masters. You can't. It's impossible. It says in Luke 6.13, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We need to know that it's dangerous. It's dangerous to have everything at our fingertips. It's okay to have things, guys. Don't get me wrong. You, just, you can't let them have you. you got to be very careful. I know that there's people who have amazing gifts. God has gifted them with multiple gifts, but they are not here blessing the church. You want to know why? Because they're working 90 hours a week. Because they're trying to keep up with the Jones or here in Armani, the Gonzalez. You know? They're trying to keep up with the neighbors. They're trying to to buy that American dream, the house, the two-story house. It used to be a a little house with the white picket fence. Now it's a house in Arcadia. huh? They're trying to do that. They're they're, they're caught up in the riches. And now they steal from the body of Christ because God has given them gifts. And they're not here because they're working two jobs. They're not here because they're chasing their riches. They're chasing their cares. 
You need to be very, very careful with that. Next, I think that in order to counter that, we need to know that God's going to supply. When has God not ever supplied? I'm not talking about your wants. I'm not talking about that, that, that 2015 car that you've been thinking about. I'm not talking about that nice house. I'm talking about the frijoles, the rice, you know, the, the, the shelter, the, the clothes. When has he not provided? He'll always give us what we need. Why not give us what he wants? He's a generous God who will give us what we want sometimes, huh? But not always, but he will provide. Psalm 23, 1, David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. I think from there we need to, 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 to be in a place where we focus on him rather than ourselves, rather than the stuff that we desire, rather than fretting about what we crave, because all that stuff is temporary, guys. It's, it's all going to burn. It's all going to break one day. You get a, 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 an iPad, and a week later a better iPad comes out. You know, I'm like, I want that one now, you know? But the things that we do, that we sow, that are eternal, those will never break. Those will never go bad. Moth will never eat those things. What are we living for? Our pastor always reminds us, right? Heaven is not just a destination. It's a what? You guys are listeners. Very good. Luke 9.23 says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross sometimes. Daily. Take up your cross daily, it says, and follow me. Okay, so now we come to verse 14. And this is the ground that we want to be. We want the Almani soil, guys. We want that soil where you drop a seed and it is going to grow. There is no doubt about it. Verse 14 says, But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Obed sang that song, Oh, happy day. This is a happy day. This is a happy day when you've come to that point where this is you, where you see God doing an amazing work in your life, in you and through you. This is the good ground that we all aspire to have, huh? Some of you are already there. Some of you are just, you could see the fruit. You could just, man, you're hanging all over fruit everywhere. And that's a blessing. Some of you are on your way. Keep in mind that it says, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So it's not all going to come right away. You've got you to gotta be patient with it. The, the principal ingredient, guys, in, in growing something is, is good soil. And, and look at what it says here. Are those having heard the word? It's all about hearing. It's all about receiving. It's all about intake. What God is showing you through his word, we have to become good listeners of his word. The Bible tells us that apart from faith, we can't what? We cannot please God, huh? It says that in Hebrews 11:16, you cannot please God without faith. And then we go to Romans where it tells us, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to, we need to take in, guys. The good soul here represents those who receive the word of God. And I know it's talking about salvation, but it could also apply to us as Christians who are already saved. If we allow the Spirit of God to cultivate the Word of God in us, then fruit will come. There's no doubt about it. Then we will, we will yield 30-fold, 60-fold, or even 100-fold like it says in this parable. When you think about it, this parable is really all about how we listen to the Word of God. Is our soil hard? And you better believe that the devil is re- ready to swipe down and take whatever God has given you. And that one's scary, guys, because of all the ones, the seed penetrated, but that one, the seed didn't penetrate. That one more than likely weren't saved. Don't let that be you. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts like the day of the rebellion. Is your soil lacking? Don't be deceived. In order to have a healthy and thriving garden, one must tend to it. There's our soil crowded. We've got to know that we can't allow any competing thrones to God's throne. His throne has to be number one. If we say, yeah, it's God and me and my desires and what, what I want, then what? guess what? That, that seed will be choked and it won't grow the way God wants it to grow. The seed is God's perfect word, guys. First Peter one two three. That's a good way of memorizing that verse. First Peter one two three. 
says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. When God calls us to be fruit bearers, guys, when God, when God calls us to, to bear fruit, he's not calling us to transform ourselves into something that we're not. He's calling us to be who he's already made us to be. That's what God is telling us. Be who I've made you to be. He, he's telling us, be my workmanship, be my poema. The essentials in yielding a crop, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, is of course the seed, it's the soil, but it's also the light. We've got to let the light in, and that's kind of what we read in this, this next parable, huh? We, we went from the parable of, of you know, the, 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 the sower, or the, pel- the parable of the soils, to now we're going to read the parable of the light. The Bible, the Bible says that God is light, right? First John 1 John 1.5 says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And I know you've read or have heard this analogy, but it's so true, you know? Just like the moon who doesn't have light in itself but reflects off the sun, we need to reflect light off, the, off of God's sun, off of Jesus. We need to be a light. I mean, if you look around this world, man, does this world need light, huh? Desperately. You know, if, when, when you think about it, if you've ever bought a diamond, husbands, have you ever bought diamonds? Cheapskates. Uh, you ever buy a diamond when they sell it to you, what do they do? What do they do? They put it on a black cloth. Oh, why? So that you can see its light. So you can see it. That, that's where we're at as Christians. We're, we're on a black cloth. Now it's up to us. Are we going to hide that light? Notice that this, this particular verse piggybacks on the parable of the soils, okay? And the last soil that is given is the good soil. It's saying, look, if this is you, if the the seed is falling on good soil, well, this is your responsibility. Your responsibility is to show the light. Isaiah 2.5 says, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Look what verses 16 through 18 say. No one, when he has a, a little lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter it may see the light. Now, it would be weird if my wife, who likes to shop, by the way, goes out and buys a lamp, brings it home, and instead of placing it on a table, plugs it in, puts it in a box, and sticks it under a bed. That doesn't make any sense, huh? And that's the picture that it's giving us here. Why would you be light to hide it? Light in itself wants to show itself, huh? And, and, and that's our responsibility. If the seed is landed on good soil, we must show the light. Sometimes as Christians, guys, I, I think we receive the seed. The seed's doing the work. Our lives are being changed for the better. But because of fear, we don't want to share the light. I don't know what that's all about. I mean, I know what fear is. I, I'm fearful. You should see myself right now. I am shaking. I'm glad the pulpit's here because my knees are shaking. They're, they're hitting each other. I'm scared. It's scary to be up here. It's scary to go out there and just, man, hey, I want to talk to you about Jesus. You know, the jet team, when they go out, they probably encounter 30 people in, in that afternoon. I guarantee you 25 of them are, are telling them, get away from me. But if it's just that one person that receives it, if it's that one divine appointment that God sets, man, is it worth it, right? I mean, what are we afraid of? Are we afraid of people telling us No. And thinking that we're weird? Newsflash, they think you're weird already. You know, remember before Jesus sent out the 70 disciples, he told them, he who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the Father who sent me. They're not rejecting you. They're not rejecting me. They're rejecting God. That should hurt our hearts. But it takes us out of the picture, huh? Just share. Be the light. Be lightsabers. Share the love of God with people. Let your life reflect the light. If we have God in us, guys, then there's no way that we're going to be able to hide it. John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We can't hide the light, guys. As Christians, even on our bad days, huh, when our flesh wants to hide it, 
You know, I, I thought of the prophet Jeremiah who definitely was facing much more opposition than we will ever face in five lifetimes. You know, Jeremiah in 29, it says, I will not make mention of his name. This is Jeremiah. Nor speak any more of his name. He's talking about God. But then, but then he says, but his word was in my heart, like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was worried of holding it back. I could not, he says. That, if the light is in us, there is no way we're going to be able to, to, to deny it. We can. We should. And why, why would we? Nothing should keep that light from shining. If it's in us, we have a responsibility to let it shine. You guys remember that song that the kids sing in Sunday school? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine. I have a terrible voice. Let it shine, let it shine. That's, that has to be our, our song. We have to go and say, I'm going to let my light shine. Because nothing, it says, can be kept in secret. Look what it says in verse 17. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Nothing that is hidden will stay that way, guys. You can't hide your Christianity. You can't hide it. Light in its very nature must be revealed. Ecclesiastes 12.14 says, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Did, did the seed, the sower, sowed fall on good ground when it fell on your heart? If you're here and you say, well, kind of. Well, maybe there's some, there's some rocks in that soil that you need to remove. Did the seed, when the, the, the sower sowed, fall on good ground when it fell on your heart? Ah, yeah, but I got a job. Man. So something's got to provide. You know, I'll come to church when I can. I'll do read when I can. I, you know, I, I got a life. But you know what? Maybe there's some thorns that we need to remove. We need to be good soil, guys. We need a soil analysis. And I think that this is an opportunity for us to take a look at ourselves, me included, and say, where are we? And as we look around the world, we hear reports of, of, of a country blowing a plane out of the sky, a civilian plane, simply for flying over the wrong air. We turn on our news and we see Israel. Israel, the promised people of God, the people that God says, if you curse, I will curse you. If you bless, I will bless you. And they're on an all-out ground war. Any minute, another country could say, enough of this, and go after them. And then, oh man, we better be ready. We better be ready. Every moment that you get, you turn on the TV and you're hearing like dominoes, every state in our country fall and compromise by legalizing marriage, legalizing drug use. Every time you hear of a church, you hear it compromised for the sake of love. Boy, do we need to be lights. Maybe God has us in this time in history for such a time as this. If there was ever a time to show light, it's today, guys. I know this is your favorite part when a preacher says this, but I close with this story. President Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War used to attend a church not far from the White House on Wednesday nights. The preacher, a man named Dr. Gurley, allowed the president to sit in the pastor's study with the door open so that he could listen to the sermon but not have to interact with the crowd. One Wednesday evening, as Lincoln and, and a companion walked back to the White House after the sermon, the president's companion asked, what did you think of the sermon tonight? Lincoln responded, it was brilliantly conceived, it was biblical, it was relevant, and it was well presented. So the companion, not really convinced, says, well, so then was it a great sermon? And Lincoln replied, no, it failed. It failed because the preacher did not ask us to do something great. It's not the preacher that's asking you to do something great today. It's God. God is saying, I want you to have good soil. I want to give you my perfect seed so that you can yield 130, 60 fold. I want you to be a light in this dark, dark world. We have the choice how we're going to respond. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, Lord, I just want to thank you so much, God, for this opportunity to be able to open up your word. And, and Lord, I, I recognize that this is a heavy study, Lord. And Lord, there's a part of me that says, you know, your, your, your sons and your daughters, they don't want to come and get beat up. And I had a friend tell me, hey, people don't want to get beat up by the preacher, but they don't mind getting beat up by your word. And I think it's your word beating up today. Lord, it's not beating up. It's like a father who loves, who's showing us, hey, you need to do this. You need to change. And so, Lord, if, if you put your finger on, on, on a wayward heart today, if there's anyone here that came in just simply because they're just desperate, they wanted to be in an AC, I don't know, and, and they don't, they don't want to receive your word, I pray that today you would break them. I pray that today, Lord, that you would cause them to humble themselves and to be broken before they're crushed, Lord. I pray that today if there's anyone here with perhaps maybe rocks, not having any root, Lord, that we would know that this life is a battlefield. And as we look around the world, Lord, we better start our engines because the end of the world is at hand. And so, Lord, help us to take root. Help us to be rooted in you. Help us to recognize the necessity to be in your word, to be in prayer, and to be in fellowship, Lord. If there's anyone here, Lord, that perhaps, Lord, has a ground full of thorns. Lord, as Americans, we're so susceptible to this. We're so worried. We're so bombarded. we got so many things that we just kind of fit you in to a capsule. I pray that we would remove those thorns and say, Lord, I'm yours. Use me. Send me. Do a work, Lord. Do a work in me. Do a work in my brothers and sisters. We don't want to just come to church to come to church. What's the point? I'm reminded that you said it's better to be cold or hot than lukewarm, Lord, because you'll spit us out. We don't want to be spit out. We want to be hot. Lord, help us. We can do nothing apart from you. And so I pray that by the, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would do a work in us and that we would take the responsibility to work on our soil. Lord, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here, Lord. And, uh, help us to praise you. Help us to recognize your grace and how good you are as we sing of your love, Lord. And I, and I, I have to say this. If there's anyone here that has come to that point where they want to humble themselves before God, where they've heard your voice and they've decided not to harden their hearts. Just, I just want to encourage you, simply in the quietness of your heart, cry out to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I, I ask for your forgiveness. I'm a sinner. I repent for my sin. I believe that you died for it and that you rose on the third day. That's what it's all about, Lord. Help us to be lights so that people can make that decision based on what they see from us. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.